Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Recorded live from the lobby of the Lion Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. to The Tidbit, brought to you by Curate. We are live at the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C., and I'm your host and the CEO of Curate, Kim Bryden. Do you run a small business or have dreams to start one? Well, here at The Tidbit, we've got your back. Each week, we talk through tidbits of knowledge around starting or running a small business with a food and beverage lens. We are back. This is the first episode of 2020, baby. <laughs> I am so jazzed to be here. Um, You know, I started this year with two very important core desired feelings. Definitely check back in the tidbit queue to learn more about what I'm talking about. Um, We had a whole mini-sode on this particular topic. But what are these feelings that you may ask? What did I sort of set this year thinking about? Um, These two core desired feelings are clarity and desire. And I'll unpack what those mean to me over the course of this year. But I know I'm continuously learning how to maintain a boundary of staying in relationship with projects and activities and people who bring me joy. And a friend recently said to me that happiness can seem like a goal that can never be achieved because happiness moves through you in a moment. This is a happy moment. And then for sure, there will also be unhappy moments that transpire. Whereas this person was explaining, me, spl- explaining to me that joy, however, is a mindset. And are you approaching the world with this joyful mindset on any given day? And so I've been thinking about how does that relate back to work? Um, and Paul Graham, who's a co-founder of the popular Y Combinator and the blog uh, Hacker News, he wrote a blog post back in January of 2006 that continues to be popularized and circulated, and it's titled, How to Do What You Love. So I'm going to share a snippet here, but I'm definitely interested in your thoughts. So Google it. Let me know what you think. Write to me. I definitely want to hear from you. Um, So a section titled, Bounds, reads, How much are you supposed to like what you do? Unless you know that, then you don't know when to stop searching. And if, like most people, you underestimate it, you'll tend to stop searching too early. You'll end up doing something chosen for you by your parents or the desire to make money or prestige or sheer inertia. Here's an upper bound. Do what you love doesn't mean do what you would like to do the most in this second. Even Einstein probably had moments when he wanted to have a cup of coffee but told himself he ought to finish what he was working on first. It used to perplex me when I read about people who liked what they did so much that there was nothing they'd rather do. There didn't seem to be any work that I liked that much. If I had a choice of either A, spending the next hour working on something, or B, be teleported to Rome and spend the next hour wandering about, was there any sort of work I'd prefer? (laughs) Honestly, no. But the fact is, almost anyone would rather at any given moment float about in the Caribbean, or eat some delicious food, then work on hard problems. The rule about doing what you love assumes a certain length of time. It doesn't mean do what will make you happiest the second. 
but will make you the happiest over some longer period of time, like a week or a month. After a while, you get tired of lying on a beach. If you want to stay happy, you have to do something. And as a lower bound, you have to like your work more than any unproductive pleasure. Of course, you can only work so much before you get tired and start to screw up. Then you want to do something else, even something mindless. But don't regard this time as the prize and the time you spend working as the pain you endure to earn it. To be happy, I think you have to be doing something you not only enjoy but admire. You have to be able to say at the end, wow, that's pretty cool. And this concept of work, like work-life balance, I think is totally evolving and particularly in 2020, we're seeing this emergence of more individuals recognizing what it means to live a joyful life and how work is certainly a part of this equation. And, and I guess I don't mean to equate working as working more or less. It doesn't necessarily have to do with productivity. What I'm trying to say is that maybe gone are the years of working in a job where you're just earning a paycheck to attain a desired outcome at an ambiguous later time in life. Like Paul said, don't regard this later time as the prize and the time you spent working as the pain you did in order to endure in, in order to earn it. So I've just been thinking a lot about this and what it means to live in each moment again with this joyful mindset. And I've always admired individuals who choose over and over again this life of intention. And especially in the food industry. But why is that? This industry can really try one's patience over and over again with low margins, competitors entering and exiting constantly, consumer dining habits changing. I mean, shoot, there are so many emotions that fluctuate over time, over multiple generations, and I could honestly not think of anyone better than the dads and sons of this quadruple that we have in studio today. Um, we are going to talk about their respective business models, how they're continuing to evolve, and how to set boundaries and wade through these emotions of being in business with your family and friends. We have Chef K.N. Vinod and Surfi Rahman, the co-owners of Indique, and their respective sons, Raul Vinod and Sahil Rahman, founders of Rasa. We'll be right back uh, and chat with them. You're listening to The Tidbit. I'm your show host and the CEO of Carrie Kim Bryden. We are here with the co-owners of Indique, Chef Kayan Vinod and Surfi Rahman and their respective sons. But I would love to hear from you both dads of this wonderful, I can't even believe this, four people in the studio today. It's feeling amazing. What community. Um, but I would love to start with you and learn about the beginnings of your relationship because I mentioned... You're the owners of Indique, but your relationship started far, far before Indique's inception. So tell me more. First of all, thank you, Kim, for we are delighted to be here. Yes. Well, um, our story started back in India itself. We worked for the same hotel chain. Wow. In India. And it was 1985. Um, uh, I came here to organize the Festival of India with the Smithsonian Institution. Oh, my first. goodness. 
after which I went back and then came back to the country uh, in 85 itself. And then we worked for a restaurant for a few years. And about 1991 or 92, we opened our first restaurant in Rockville called mm. Bombay Bistro. Bombay Bistro. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. We had um, literally no money. We put all our nickels and dimes together. We told our wives, okay, um, this restaurant is a very risky business. So you hold on to your jobs and <laughs> let's... So that's how we started uh, the Bombay Bistro. And thing. And we were very fortunate that we got great reviews and write-ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, Washington Post uh, called it... Uh, the best of India and you know they have low prices polished service and so the best food in town so we had lines uh, forming from lunch and dinner then we went on to open Bombay Bistro in Fairfax a few years later mm. and after that we after a few years we opened a place called Indique and we wanted to do something different uh, so we wanted to put India and unique together and coined this word uh, Indique that's I love it. Yes. So we opened Indique. Um, and then after a few years, we opened Indique Heights in Chevy Chase. That we ran for about 10 years. Mm. Um, and then... Here we are today. Yeah. Here we are today. Wow. How many years did we just cover? Um, I think it's about 28 years. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And I'm sure over this time, obviously, you've seen businesses evolve, change, exit, keep going. How has that been feeling for you? Yeah, it's a great feeling, um, especially to be um, in business for 28 years. I think we are blessed and uh, we feel we have done something right, maybe. Yeah, I think you have. And when did you decide to get your sons involved? I'm specifically not going to have... Well, maybe you guys want to chime in. I don't know. But I want to hear from your dad's perspective first. Why'd you get these two guys involved? Hi, Kim. Thanks for having us over. Yes. Uh, This was uh, more kind of in the making because when we were uh, just about uh, opening Bombay Bistro... uh, uh, both of these guys were like uh, toddlers at that <laughs> point of time, and they'd be running around in the restaurant. Uh-huh. And uh, we were kind of worried about their knocking things around. <laughs> so their involvement pretty much started uh, that early. And then from time to time, you know, while they were going through the school and college and stuff like that, they used to bring uh, a lot of their friends over. They started working at the restaurant uh, at you know, at different uh, positions. Mm -hmm. And also a lot of their friends, they kind of uh, moonlighted with us. Wow. Yeah, I mean, we had a good pool of uh, workers. Definitely. From amongst their friends. So (laughs) it was was a saying that almost all of their friends, at some point or the other, did end up uh, putting in a few hours with us. That's amazing. What a community. I know. And that that was where the involvements started. And... uh, Somewhere along the line, they probably, you know, had it in their DNA. And uh, they both uh, went like the corporate way. I mean, Rahul was investment banker. Sahil was a consultant with Deloitte. But somewhere in the background, uh, some thoughts were brewing between them. And then they both happened to be in New York at some point. Mm-hmm. And they conspired together oh. and informed us uh, <laughs> at some point that... Uh, you know, we are going to quit our jobs, and this is what we're going to do. Wow. 
and practically our hearts sank oh no <laughs> the first question i remember asking was are you crazy yeah you... <laughs> are you sure you want to do <laughs> I this sure. i sure <laughs> yeah this is this is an industry uh, which uh, is famous for burning people out yes you know it's very demanding very hard on your families because when the rest of the world is having time that's the time when we are working hardest exactly to, to keep them entertained absolutely yeah so considering all of those things we were kind of worried about where they will go but then we talked to them and they were both so passionate about it and 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 we saw their you know belief and we saw kind of had an insight into their dreams mm-hmm. and uh, we jumped right in and said all right you know we'll we are all in wow. we are with you guys Oh my goodness. What a beautiful story. Yeah. And the first thing we told them is okay, that's fine if you're really serious about it. I don't think you can open a restaurant setting in front of a computer. Uh-huh. Get into the kitchen and come oh. on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Learn the basics and Yes. So. <laughs> I think this is a huge tidbit that I would like to share with any listener who is not currently a food entrepreneur but is aspiring to be one. Go work somewhere first. and actually learn how to become a barista how to be a line cook like actually learn the job first the foundation has to be really strong yes yeah. absolutely really important point absolutely oh my gosh this feels like an appropriate segue sons of <laughs> <laughs> um, sahil rawal i feel like growing up in and around the business like we were just talking about there must have been this moment maybe it was when you were conspiring in new york i don't know tell me um when you realized there was this way to change the way consumers could experience indian cuisine which ultimately birthed rasa so how did you decide this was the moment and where is rasa going now yeah absolutely so again thank you for having us on and that moment actually happened back when we were in high school oh interesting <laughs> so um, so we grew up in the same area and we grew up at a time where indian food is not was not where it is today. So back when we were going through elementary and middle school, the common associations with Indian food and culture were, you know, the Simpsons, thank you come again, mm. Indiana Jones, monkey brains on the plate and all of this kind of stuff. So there was a lot of people saying things like I don't like curry, I don't like spicy food and and a lot of those notions. Mm. And we always loved the food from the restaurant, we never really understood it. So as we got older, we started bringing friends from school, our non-Indian friends to the restaurant. and without fail those friends would absolutely become evangelized to a point where they're coming back for birthdays for first dates as we got older even graduation dinners Ooh. and so we started realizing the problem wasn't our cuisine it was simply the perception around the food and the accessibility mm-hmm. with it mm-hmm. um so I'll pass it off to Rahul to share a little bit more yeah so um you know after spending years and years of bringing our friends uh to the restaurants Uh, and introducing them to this to this food we really felt that despite its gain in popularity indian food still largely remained inaccessible and so what we mean by that is that if you want to get indian food oftentimes you have to go out of your way to uh find the one indian restaurant in some random shopping center it's not always in a convenient location where you like to hang out mm-hmm. um when you do get to the restaurant you are em- embark into like almost a a foreign atmosphere with Taj Mahal paintings on the wall, Indian music playing. You get a copy of the menu 
and there's 200 different items on it which you've never heard of you know more than half of them mm -hmm. and so if you're not bringing an indian friend you you kind of stick to maybe the butter chicken and garlic naan and different things like that right and at the end of the day you know it's usually a slower paced meal with a server mm -hmm. and um not necessarily um cheap either right so we basically felt that if we were to flip all those um challenges on their on their head uh we would be able to introduce people to indian food um in in a, in a much more forthcoming manner this is fascinating talk about again here we are intergenerational businesses here totally different business models and now we're all sitting around this table talking about them and their evolution <laughs> over time this is making my heart sing. I'm going to actually have us take a quick break and then come right back to talk more about the nitty gritty of what's transpired with your businesses. You're listening to The Tidbit. I'm Kim Bryden, your host and the CEO of Curate, and we are here with Raul and Sahil of Founders of Rasa and their respective dads, co-owners of Indique, Chef Vinod, and Surfi Raman. You know, I didn't let uh, us go into the evolution of Rasa as it stands today, and so I really want us to, yeah, go back to what I was just talking about how each of these businesses are fundamentally different business models, but both have been staples in the DC dining community. True, uh, truly, I like believe this to my core. And so I'm wondering for entrepreneurs who are starting out as brick and mortar establishments, what do you believe are both the opportunities and potential competitive threats that face each business model? Yeah, absolutely. So I can start from the, the fast casual standpoint. And I think some of these lessons would also apply for restaurants more broadly. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the first thing is, is really understanding what your unique value proposition is. Is there really a need for your business in the market? And if you are going to come, what's going to allow you to stand out from the hundreds of other restaurants that are opening? Um, a lot of people, similar to Rahul and I, were working in you know financial fields or different industries and then make the transition to the restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. And we were really fortunate to have fathers who kind of cracked the whip on us when we decided <laughs> to make that transition and having uh -huh. uh, a lot of that tacit knowledge from growing up in the industry mm -hmm. um, because it is immensely difficult. You know, despite literally growing up inside of restaurants, uh, I think I can speak for both of us in saying that we had no idea how hard this was going to be. Mm -hmm. You know, we thought the long hours in finance or consulting were difficult, mm -hmm. and it, it really is a pretty grueling industry. So you have to understand the why behind what you're doing and who you're trying to serve to, to I think, give you the energy and passion to continue moving forward. Mm -hmm. Wow. And now with that defined why, at least for Rasa, you're, you are expanding. You started in Navy Yard, and now you have... Two more, one more. Yep, absolutely. What's so, happening? Uh, so we opened our first <laughs> restaurant back in uh, late 2017 yeah. in Navy Yard, across from the baseball stadium, and now we're we're extremely excited to open up in Northwest DC at Fifth and K mm -hmm. in Mount Vernon Triangle, mm -hmm. and then uh, a few months after that, we'll actually be opening up in Crystal City in Northern Virginia. Oh my gosh! Can we get some sirens up in here? 
That is amazing. I mean, yes, congratulations. Thank and you. and so in contrast, what's been happening with Indique? How have you seen your own businesses changing and evolving over time? We are actually uh, uh, going through a, a different f- phase uh, at this point. Uh, Indian restaurants were not known for doing brunches in the city. Ah. And uh, kind of uh, uh, recently we were named one of the best brunches in town, Ooh. all restaurants considered. So uh-huh. we were very excited about that. We are getting a lot of younger people coming in and enjoying the brunches. We are doing a lot of uh, different dishes which are kind of uh, very authentic Indian but presented a little bit differently, which is more acceptable to the uh, millennials as mm-hmm. such. Mm-hmm. So we are very excited about uh, growing in that direction. Uh, we are uh, also trying to, you know, kind of evolve with our menu a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Chef Vinod is very creative that way. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the most creative. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. How are you feeling about this new menu yeah, development? Great. Uh, see, basically, um, as, uh, as most of the Indian restaurants, they had a very set format. You know, you could right. you could uh, pretty much predict a menu. You can close your eyes and go to a restaurant and say what's the standard samosas and chicken tikka makhani and things like that. Right. So India is a vast country, and with the variety of dishes that we have, mm-hmm. so the different flavors. Every fifty miles you travel in India things are so different right so why not present that then giving so that's what we have uh, tried to focus on you know regional dishes from yes. kerala from tamil nadu from you know from places where people are not really used to i love this especially yeah. in this city where mm-hmm. people pride themselves on the stories behind a dish being able to then go to their networking event and being like i tried blah 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 or like sure. i went to this thing and Learned XYZ fact that now I'm sharing with you in my networking. Anyways, I think this is a huge part of like what DC dining culture I've at least perceived is about is not just the food I'm eating, but the beverages I'm having and that whole experience that's tied together. And that's what people want to share and then talk about either again at a networking event or even on social media. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, you have to constantly evolve Mm -hmm. with your menu and keep up with the times. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I do want to actually talk about you all as a relationship, if we can. Oh, it'd be... Here we go. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I imagine being in business with family can come with its opportunities and challenges. And I do want to discuss boundary setting and how to navigate these complex problems when you're both business partners and have strong familial bonds. So how have you worked through these challenges that have presented themselves? And do you have advice for business owners who are currently in or thinking about going into business with their family or significant others? I guess uh, one of the uh, uh, main thing would be to have uh, mutual respect mm. and, and trust in each other mm-hmm. and, and, and also keeping the interests of the business uppermost and your ego the lowest at the lowest point. Oh, how does one do that, though? What it's a challenge. challenge. It's a challenge. It's very challenging, but uh, you can work around it. Uh-huh. Um, it, it eventually does happen. And, and yeah. it's, it's just a question of bringing everybody on the same platform, 
and says, what is most important to you? Is it the success of the business? Then you'll have, you'll have to you know, forget about your egos and mm. things like this. It's not easy, I agree, but it can be done. Wow. I mean, talk about a good metaphor for just life in general. Foundationally, we have to have respect and trust of one another that there's absolutely. coming from a good intention. Absolutely. I think that's one of the most important things, mm-hmm. especially in a partnership. Mm-hmm. The, the trust and mutual respect. If we don't have mutual respect for each other, mm-hmm. there's no way that you can succeed. Wow. Whew. This is really good. <laughs> Welcome to our lives. <laughs> Suds, do you have anything to share? How have you been a part of this relationship building? I mean, obviously, you two are friends and also, yeah, your fathers are in business. Now you're in business. What does that now look like for you? Totally. And I want to be transparent that we all have an amazing relationship right now. And when we started, we all wanted to kill each other. Uh-huh. Right? It's like, it, it's not, it wasn't all roses and butterflies. I caught you at a good time. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, I think for us, a couple of the things that that helped us a great deal, one was identifying the strengths that we all had. So Mm. instead of challenging each other for authority or dominance or whatever it might be, the dads were able to see that we have some new ideas, new perspectives, some technology we can bring in. And we also saw they have so much wisdom and deep industry knowledge and connections and figuring out how we can leverage everyone's strengths to make Mm -hmm. us all better. Mm -hmm. I found to be really, really helpful. And then I think in terms of the relationship, something that I believe we all found to be really effective was actually finding time to be business partners and time to be friends and to be family. And it's very difficult to know when to turn off and when to turn back on. But having that intentional boundary, I think, is so, so important. I'm getting chills. This is very powerful because I find that most people, other other than you four amazing individuals, other other people in my life who have gone into business with their significant others have a very, very blurred line of what you are speaking of. The crossover between business and being either a sexual partner or married, it, you know, it gets blurred constantly. So I really love that very explicit um, call out that you've made these separate times for one another. Is there anything you'd like to add to that role? Yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree with Sahil on that. And, you know, I think earlier on when we were starting Rasa, it was more difficult because we were both living in our parents' houses where we grew up. Yeah. So it was like hard to turn it off because we were just always there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, But since then, now we both live in, in DC. And so we are able to, you know, kind of separate time where we want to hang out with our families and just, a you literal know. physical space. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Huge. Um, definitely helps. Yes. Oh, and talk about an, a need, again, if you're going into business with your significant other and you do live together and you are running a business together, maybe some separate hobbies. I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> um, this is really important. Is there anything else that's sort of come up in our conversation around this blurring of emotions and boundaries and friends and family that you feel like would be helpful for an entrepreneur to know? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the biggest one for me is just knowing that it takes work. And it's not like you snap your fingers and it just magically comes together. Uh, I think we've all put in so much work in the one-on-one relationships as well as our collective relationship and continue to check in with one another to make sure that we're all on the same page, we have the same vision. And if there are things that are arising, trying to nip those in the bud opposed to letting them come up and explode. Yeah, like a, instead of having a seed of bitterness planted, you're like, nope, unfertile soil here. Let's talk about <laughs> it. 
no bitterness. <laughs> really, because otherwise, how can you be, um, yeah, running a successful business if you have these seeds of mistrust uh, planted over time? I think that's so beautiful. Thanks for doing the work, everyone. Um, so if an, a listener would like to frequent any of your establishments or follow you on the internet, how can people find you? Literally, physically where, and maybe also online. Um, on Instagram, at Indique DC, mm -hmm. on Facebook as well. Mm -hmm. And on Twitter, at Indique DC, or you want to follow me, Chef, at uh, Twitter is at K Vinod, or Instagram is at Chef Vinod. Perfect. And where can we find you and literally dine with you? Um, I run around between these three restaurants, <laughs> basically. Either and Indique's Indique, at Cleveland Park? Indique in Cleveland Park, mm -hmm. or Bombay Bistro, or sometimes you see me at Rasa, or, you know. Wow, amazing. <laughs> and where can we find you at Rasa, literally in real life and online? Totally. And so uh, Bombay Bistro is in, uh, in Rockville, Maryland. Perfect. And um, so Rasa, right now we are down in Navy Yard mm -hmm. in, um, on 1st and M across from Nationals Park. And we'll be opening up in uh, less than a month in Mount Vernon Triangle at 5th and K. Great. And then uh, hopefully late spring, early summer, you'll be able to find us in Crystal City mm -hmm. uh, right on Crystal Drive. And I'll pass it off to Rahul for where to find us online. Yeah, so you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all at Rasa, mm. um, or on our website, rasagrill.com. Perfect. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Um, listeners, I know this is our first episode back of 2020. And did you know that the tidbit is derived from a biweekly newsletter that we send out at Curate? In it, we discuss what we're reading, eating, drinking, listening to, and learning five quick morsels of information to get you in the know and on top of your game. So head over to curate.co, C-U-R-E-A-T-E.co to sign up. And also, we would love if more budding entrepreneurs and listeners like you could find out about the tidbit, this show. Um, our mission includes sharing of education and access to resources at Curate. And the best way to reach more folks like you is to leave a review in iTunes. I'm serious. It's true. And a goal of mine, I don't know, I'm going to put it out there, maybe hit 20 reviews in 2020. Maybe. Who knows? Let's see. Can you help me get there? I would love that. Um, and until next time, everyone, remember to scale thoughtfully and source locally.